Good morning. Man, I think I said this last week, but I want to say again, thank you to um, to you um, for the uh, prayer and the love that you have shown my family over the past few weeks. And um, we buried my mom last week and uh, the last remaining parent that I had. And uh, it was cool to be able to preach both my parents' funerals. It was an honor, um, but even a greater honor than that. And I, I'm not exaggerating when I say it was to receive uh, the love that I have received and my family has received from you all and um, awesome and so uh, it's with great pleasure that I say to you I'm proud of who you are and who we are together uh, and your love for one another and so that's pretty cool. Uh, Today we're going to pick back up 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 11 is what we're going to cover today. And what we're going to talk about is obviously fellowship because we've been talking about it for six years. Um, as Josh, I think, said a few weeks ago, like for a 63-week introduction or something on fellowship. Um, today we're going to talk about fellowship and the love of God and love of each other because that's what this section is addressing today. Love of God leading to love of each other. Let me read the passage, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 11. Remember fellowship, life together under the word. It's not just life together. Civic clubs do life together. We're talking about life together under the word of the gospel, together doing the mission of the gospel, together in all of the 63-week introduction ways we've talked about fellowship, life together under the word. The church is not a product to be consumed. You are not there so that somebody can come and and have you for something that fills a need for them and then go use another body that fills a need for them. The church is not a product. It is the glorious, blood-bought bride of Jesus Christ. He is chief shepherd. He is the teaching pastor today. He is the ruling elder. He never dies. He never stops leading his church. And so we together under that word of the gospel come together to honor Chief Shepherd Jesus, to follow Chief Shepherd Jesus as the blood-bought bride of Christ, not a product to be consumed by somebody looking for a product. And as that bride, we love each other. And love of God, right love of God, leads to the right love of each other. And that's going to be John's argument in this passage today. So let's read it. 1 John 2, 3-11. through And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And just by the way, I'm going to hit this in a minute. The commandments of the Lord, John uses the word commandments or commandment in regard to the Lord's commands, the Lord Jesus commands. And they are very simply love God, which he's going to define in 1 John 3, 23 as believing on the son, Jesus Christ. So the right love of God is displayed in believing on the son and then loving each other. Those are his commands. Okay. Real simple. This isn't rocket science. A little bit more difficult to execute because we're all quirky, right? But love of God shown in the love of Jesus, the belief on the Son, and then love of each other, okay? So, and by this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. 
by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. And does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Get it broken down this morning to... Three parts. Number one, we're going to talk about the problem that John is addressing. Number two, John's response to the problem. And then we're going to talk about how John gives instruction to the church. And then we're going to quickly apply that. Okay, now moms, I know this is a different day. We, like once, about once a month, we, second through fifth graders come in and sit with us. And that's on purpose. That's intentional. Okay, so it's okay if they move. All right, we all move and shift. It's okay. So just relax. Let them shift. Let them, Joseph and Kristen have my boys back there. And you know them, like one in particular may lose his mind in 10 minutes. But it's okay because they're learning. So relax. It's completely all right. Okay. There's been a group of people, the problem, there's been a group of people that have left this group of Christians that John is writing to in favor of a higher level of Christianity. Now, to speculate on what the exact nature of their teaching is, is futile because John doesn't say. He just identifies some of their statements. But there was a higher level of Christianity and they have separated themselves from the body because of their higher level of Christianity. And you have those who've remained faithful to the gospel left and John is writing to them to address them. But there are four specific areas. Most people identify three. I identify four. There's a few that identify four. So, um, and so I will read them to you. Um, the first one is identified in chapter 1 verse 6 where John says, um, If we say... We have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. So they're saying, these people who've separated themselves are saying, we have fellowship with God. While obviously saying, you lesser Christians don't have fellowship with God. Chapter 1 verse 8 identifies another thing that these guys are saying. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. So they're saying, we have no sin. We've achieved the sinless state. There is no sin in us. We are perfect. Another thing they say is in chapter 2, verse 4, whoever says, I know him, which is what we're going to be dealing with today, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. So they're saying, we know God. We know God. You obviously don't know God, but we really know God. We have a higher understanding. And in chapter 2, verse 6 is the fourth area that some identify, some don't, uh, and the reason I identified is because John says, whoever says, he doesn't put it in quotes like the others uh, identify or identified as, but he says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walks. They're saying, we abide in Jesus. We have fellowship with God. There is no sin. We know God and we abide in him. Forty-two times, First John uses the word no, and this seems to be the major issue that this group has, is they have a knowledge of God that these poor imbeciles don't have. And so they have now separated themselves and divided themselves. 
And these spiritually elite Christians left the rest of the body, causing those faithful to wonder if they had fellowship with God. Why is it I still sin? Gosh, I'm not even sure I know God. And am I really abiding in Christ? And so those are their wonderings. What, what is it with me? What's my problem? And so John's response is this. John says, I write to you many times in this book. If you've read First John, it's real easy to read. It's only five chapters. And he identifies his reason for writing to them in multiple statements. I'm going to give them to you. John says in chapter 1, verse 4, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John was writing to them so that he could help them recapture the joy of their salvation. Recapture joy in walking with Jesus. Recapture this beautiful reality that you may not be what some are considered spiritually elite, but there's a joy in walking with Jesus. And John wants them to possess that as a fellowship, life together, under the Word. Chapter 2, verse 1, John says, My little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. John wrote to them going, Look, dude, I get it. They're saying they have no sin. And I want you to strive for that. I'm writing so that you may strive for holiness. That's a great goal. And then he says there in verse 2 as well, But when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father to remind them that, you know what? We do sin. We all sin. We strive for holiness. You're not sinless. But when you do sin, the good news is Jesus has paid the price in full. He's our advocate with the Father. So he encourages them, strive for holiness. But recognize Jesus has paid the price for you when you do sin. And he's going to identify the remedy in chapter 3, verse 1 to 10, where he talks about repentance being the dominant characteristic of these young believers and they're continuing to follow the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 12, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, to tell them and remind them their sins have been forgiven. I can't wait to get to that one next week. There's just some beautiful grammar there that shows us the eternality of the forgiving and justifying work of the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 13 and verse 14, the first part of the verse, he writes to remind them that they know God and they've overcome the evil one. Not only do you know God, you've overcome the liar, the evil one, the enemy. Chapter 2, verse 14, he says, I'm writing to remind you that you're strong in the Lord. And that the word abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. Imagine they're starting to waver and they don't feel very strong in the Lord. And he writes to stand under their faith, to remind them they are strong, the Word does abide in them, and they have overcome the evil one. Chapter 2, verse 21, he says he's written to them to remind them that they do know the truth. They do know the truth. It may sound as though they are elite, but the reality is you know the truth, and he's reminding them of that truth. The whole middle part of this sermonic little book, and First John is very sermonic, he's preaching to them in writing. It's a sermon written out. And he's highlighting the superiority of Jesus and, and, and identifying what it is that departs from the teaching of Jesus. And he's reminding them, you know the truth. Don't depart from Jesus. That is the spirit of Antichrist that John says is in the world already. Antichrist is here, just in the FYI. There may be a man of lawlessness coming later, whatever that looks like, eschatologically in the end. But spirit of Antichrist is present already. The liar and the father of lies is seeking to draw people away from Jesus. We'll deal with that in a few weeks as well.
Chapter 2, verse 26, he says he writes to them to counteract the work of those who are trying to deceive them and remind them that God's anointing abides in them, that the Spirit abides in them, and they don't need these people to be their teachers because they have the Spirit who is teacher, and Jesus said would guide them into truth and teach them and remind them of everything. In chapter 5, verse 13, he writes to them to help them to know and remind them that they have eternal life. They have eternal life. I remember... As a young Christian at the age of 20, wondering, gosh, how do I know? How do I know? How do I know? And 1 John 5.13 is a great ointment for a soul looking for assurance that Jesus has saved you. John writes, I've written all these things so that you can know you've got eternal life. You've got eternal life. So, what's John's instruction to the church in light of the problem? And how he has written to instruct them. In this section we've read, 1 John 2, 3-11, John's addressing the particular claim on the part of these Christians who say they have an elite knowledge of God, that they know God. He's challenging that claim. And he's addressing that issue. He's addressing this particular claim that they know God and others don't know God. And he's going to show... How they know that they know God. And here it is. Here's, here's the one point for today. All right, Multiple little ways to develop it. But here's point number one. Here's what John wants them to get. Show you know God by loving God and loving each other. Here it is. Show you know God by loving Him, believing on the Son, and loving each other. That's it. He says some things about those who have remained in this passage who love God and love each other. He identifies some characteristics of those people who are loving God rightly and loving each other rightly. Here's the first one. 1 John 2, 5. But whoever keeps his word, that is love God, love each other, in him truly the love of God is perfected. In Him truly, the love of God is perfected. In other words, those remaining Christians that are seeking to love God and love each other are loving rightly. Love of God and love of each other means when you're doing those that you're loving right. You're loving the way God loves. The verb translated made perfect is the perfect tense. And it's used four times in 1 John, always to describe completion or perfection, particularly regarding love. Since keeping the commandments involves living out the commandment to love one another, the love of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ reaches its perfection when the same love is shown to one another and to the God who abides in the Christian. God's love achieves its purpose when we keep His word. Meaning, those who love God and love each other have achieved love. They've achieved love. That's how we love. Those who love God and love each other, the love of God is perfected in them. If you love God and you love each other, and we're going to talk about some ways in a minute how that plays itself out. You can't improve on that. There's no improvement on it. To love God and love each other 
is, dude, it's bringing the kingdom. It's, it's the atmosphere, the, the ethos of the kingdom of God right here, right now. It's what didn't happen in the garden. But when Christ saves people and He brings them together under the word of the gospel, when they love Him and they love each other, that is the kingdom being lived out in its perfection. The love of God is perfected by those who love God and love each other. The image of God's love in man is restored and operational. When we love each other, particularly those of us who aren't very lovable. Because the reality is, we're quirky people. We all have our little idiosyncrasies that are funky. And when we can love God and love each other in that, it is the image of God restored in salvation working itself out among us. It's salvation happening. It's sanctification taking place. And so he wants them to know the love of God's perfected in you. If you love me and you are walking after me in my ways, the Lord says, and you love each other, the love of God is restored in the image in you. Number two, a characteristic of those who love God and love each other is they walk as Jesus walked. This little word to walk is peripateo. Peri being the, the little prefix which means with. Pateo, walking, to walk with Jesus. And it's translated usually those who walk as Jesus walked. The idea is they're walking the way Jesus did. In other words, they're walking with Jesus. These people who love God and love each other are imitating Jesus well. So he writes to them and he says to them, you may be viewed as inferior by others, but you're walking as Jesus walked. Walking as Jesus walked. Your manner of life looks like Jesus' manner of life. Number three, he says that they abide in the light. Look at verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. They abide in the light. Those people who love God and others are living in the light of the dawning of the kingdom of God in Christ, while those who walk while those who say they love God are not loving others are living in the darkness of the kingdom of this world ruled by Satan. He says, you're abiding in the light. You're abiding in the coming kingdom. Guys, let me tell you something. When the Lord returns, when Jesus returns, and He sets up the new heaven and the new earth, and we live in the kingdom forever, we will taste perfectly what we're only tasting in part now. We're tasting a smoke. When you love each other the way Jesus loves us, and you love God, we're getting a small hors d'oeuvre of what that's going to taste like when sin is removed completely and we love God face to face and we love each other perfectly. Listen, man, when we live life like that, that becomes the aroma of Christ to those who are perishing. Because they see those people love each other. There's no needy among them. What, what is it with these people? It's the kingdom. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is here. And it's coming in its fullness. And we're trying to live it out. We're not perfect. But we're striving to love God. And love each other. We abide in the light. The light of God's kingdom is shining. And it's its infant stages of the dawn. And the kingdom of darkness is losing. And those who walk 
with Jesus, loving God, loving each other, living the light of the dawning of the kingdom of God. And one day that dawn will turn into a full-blown sunshine, a full day. Number four, characteristics of these people who love God and love each other is they do not cause others to stumble. Second part of verse 10, which I read already. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. They don't cause other people to stumble. You can say that positively. That's, that's the negative way to say it. They do not cause others to stumble. Let's say that positively. They cause other people to walk well. Those who love God and love each other are helping each other walk with Jesus. Meaning if we love God and we love each other, our goal is going to be to prop someone up and help them walk with the Lord. Not to rip them down and tell them how terrible they are. It's called encouragement. As we encourage one another, the writer of Hebrews said, let us encourage one another every day. As long as it's called today, we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we try to help each other walk with the Lord. Not yank each other down into the idea that somehow they are less than. They don't cause others to stumble. In other words, they cause the body to walk well. Second sub-point. There are some characteristics of those who say they love God but aren't loving others. Those who say they know God but do not love others. The converse is true of the false teachers and their followers. 1 John 2, 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. In other words, if we say we know God... And we are not propping up, helping walk with Jesus, loving people. Then John says, they lie. And he even goes so far as to say truth isn't even in them. That, that, that's a devastating statement. Not only are they not telling the truth, there's no truth in them at all. This is how important it is to love each other. Jesus' commandments, love God. And again, First John 3.23, he identifies the love of God as believing on the Son of God, believing in Jesus. That is, mentally understanding and walking after Him with your life. Both of those combined. And then loving each other. Those are His commandments. Those who say they're keeping them, but not loving, are liars. Here are the characteristics of those people. Number 1, chapter 2, verse 4, which we've read, they're liars. They lie. Number 2, chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If they aren't loving God and loving each other, then they're not walking as Jesus walked. They're not imitating Jesus. Which, by the way, just read the Gospels. Try the Sermon on the Mount. Try it on. Just Matthew 5, right? 6 and 7. Good concentrated summary of the attitudes of the kingdom of God. It's enough to keep you busy till he returns. It's enough to keep you busy until he returns. Walk as Jesus walked. Seek to imitate Jesus. Look at what he said. Try to do it. And when we sin, don't worry. Remember chapter 2, verse 1 and 2? We have an advocate with the Father. Praise God, right? As we strive hard to follow Jesus, we will fail. But when we fail, we come to Christ and we say, Thank you, Jesus, 
that even though I fail, you paid for that failure, past, present, and future. And I repent, and I turn to you, and I want to follow you, I want to love you and love your people. We try to walk as Jesus walked. But if we're not doing that, if we're not loving God and loving each other, he says, chapter 2, verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. We're living in the darkness of the kingdom of this world, not in the kingdom of the light of Jesus Christ. They abide in darkness. Number four, they cause people to stumble. Chapter 2, verse 10, whoever loves his brother and abides in light in him, there is no cause for stumbling. In other words, if you're not loving God and loving each other rightly, it's a stumbling block to other people. Well, let's get into some application of that, okay? How do we love each other? How do we do that? How do we love each other and fulfill the commands of the Lord Jesus? How do we not? How do we avoid being liars? How do we avoid not walking as Jesus walked? How do we step from darkness into light? How do we, how do we become people who aren't causing others to stumble? I'm going to give you two examples, okay? First example, Galatians 6.2. And by the way, I'm, I'm trusting my prayer today, because this is, this is part of the challenge of, of preaching, is you can never say, you can never verbalize everything that needs to be spoken to every heart. It's not possible. Because I don't know what's happening in your soul right now, but the Spirit of God does. Jesus said He will be our counselor, our guide to truth. He will remind you of everything He said. He will convict. And so my prayer has been that beyond these two illustrations, that God by His Spirit would guide you to the Son and speak to you on how you can today fulfill His commands. Love Him and love each other. If these two don't fit, my prayer is that the Spirit is telling you how to apply this, okay? Alright? So let's, let's look. Number one, Galatians 6.2. Love each other by continuing to bear each other's burdens. Love each other by continuing to bear each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we bear each other's burdens, we are fulfilling the love of God. And the love of each other. In context of Galatians 6.2. The idea is bearing the burden of sin with each other. Galatians 6.1. Restoring someone from sin. In other words. Bearing a person. In the body's burden of sin. Looks like helping that person to overcome sin. You know what that means? That means we have to know each other and be with each other enough to know when we're wrestling with sin. We have to be able to confess to one another we are wrestling with sin and help each other be restored from that sin. There's no person in here sinless. Newsflash. And when you live in community, you do life together under the Word, sin is going to happen. And we love one another by bearing the burden of sin for each other and helping each other be restored from our sin. That may look like saying, hey brother, I know that's wrestling you to the ground. How can I help you today? Would you like me to fast and pray with you? Would you like me to help hold you accountable to something? What does that look like? Bearing each other's sin. Maybe there's a particular issue that wrestles you to the ground on a daily basis. And you long 
to be relieved of that burden. May I say this to you? Go to a brother and confess your sin. And let God minister to you in that moment of a brother speaking truth to you to remind you of the gospel and help you walk through that sin. Another way we can bear each other's burdens is the physical labors that are needed in the body. Physical labors. Another way we can work and bear each other's burdens is spiritual heaviness due to some loss or spiritual warfare. Another way we can help each other in bearing our burdens, loving each other, is emotional hurts that are present due to mistreatment. And listen, church. Bear the burden. Don't crush them. Bear the burden. Don't crush them. What that means is you and I have to be sensitive Listen to the Lord on how to help prop them up and not just assume that I can come and drop my way of doing things on them and they're just supposed to respond in life. That's not how it works. The golden rule is treat others the way they need to be treated. That's how that's properly understood. Meaning, I need to know you well enough to know how I need to speak to you. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I use this illustration before in my classes and we talk about that in Matthew My wife is not going to feel loved if I bring her Falcon season tickets. I'm going to be very happy. I will feel very loved. She will feel condemned. She doesn't care. She does not care. But I'm like, baby, I love you. I've spent lots of money on these season tickets. I feel really loved. Why don't you feel loved? Because she doesn't feel loved with the Falcons. I'm not quite sure how to tell you how she would feel loved. I'm still learning some of those things. I'm working on that. It's because I'm terrible at it. But we're aware of loving them the way they need to be loved. And not everybody needs to be loved the same way. Some people need to be loved with a swift kick to the rear. They feel that. Some people need to be loved with encouragement. When I'm around my guy, the guys that I love to spend time with, and we just kind of, we bear on each other with sarcasm. My boss knows how to love me because he inset, he's been texting me all morning, talking trash to me, and it makes me laugh. And I feel love when Glenn Getchell talks trash to me. It's just the way he, he understands. And so he knows me well enough to know he can do that to me, and it makes me laugh. You know why? Because he's taking the time to get to know who I am. And I feel loved when he talks trash to me. He's been making fun of me since yesterday at graduation. And I think it's the funniest thing on the face of the planet. We bear burdens. We don't crush people. Now, I know not everybody responds to sarcasm. You know, I have to be careful because I like to be sarcastic sometimes. And not everybody responds that way, meaning I need to know you well enough to know that I probably don't need to be sarcastic with you if that doesn't help you. Does that make sense? Particularly the ladies. Ladies don't respond to sarcasm very well. That's, making fun of my wife doesn't work. We have to bear burdens. We don't crush people. And you know what? That takes practice. It takes practice. Beware of others. Don't hurt. 
crop up. In regard to sin, Dr. Dub Darvel knows things about me that none of you ever will, I hope. I told him I was, I texted him and told him I was going to mention his name and just to give him warning. I know things about him that you probably never will either. There you go. But you know what? He helps me bear a load of sin, and I help him bear a load of sin. And we ask each other, how are you doing? Well, not too good. Let's pray. Thank you. He helps bear my sin. He's been knowing me a long time. And he knows me cold. He knows how to pray for me. He knows how to bear my burden of sin. He knows how to remind me to strive for holiness. And he only doesn't crush me. He loves me. In spite of me. Physical labors. Nathan Roberts likes to help. Where are you at, Nathan? There you are. Nathan likes to help. And he's wanted to put a board back there just offering, like, I can do these things. I'm not sure there's not much he can't do sometimes. He likes to help. And you know, when you know somebody well enough to know, dude, I can come to your house with a tiller and help you level that piece of ground. That's awesome. Because he's got the machine. He can do it. He's got the machinery. He's got welders. He's got a welder machine I'm jealous of, actually. Physical labors. People that want to help. Want to help bear burdens. Spiritual warfare. God has gifted some of us in this body with the gift of discerning spirits. And if you are in war and you are hearing lies, come. I would love. Others would love to be able to walk you through that spiritual war. Because there is a war. Satan hates you. He does not love the gospel. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a schemer, liar, father of lies. And he can speak lies to you. And if you can't discern truth from error, he will eat your lunch. God has gifted people with the ability to help in that. Help bear that burden. Don't just deal with the lies in your mind. Don't just ignore them. Rebuke them in the name of Jesus because there's authority to be had over those things. We do that together. Emotional hurts. I'm starting to realize we have more trained counselors in this church than I knew we ever did. There are people here who are trained, educated, and spirit-gifted counselors. And when you know each other, you love God and you love each other, we can help counsel one another through those emotional hurts. As some of you have with me over the past two weeks. So you know what? Crucify your pride and let others bear burdens. Crucify your pride and let other people bear your burdens. And by the way, I just want to say to you, you are doing that well. I continue to hear folks who say, I didn't even know stuff was going on. And they said, oh yeah, this person came and they dealt. And they just, and I'm like, dude, that's the body at work. It never made it to anybody else because somebody who loved them jumped on it and just started serving. Do that more. Keep doing that. You're doing that well. Keep doing it more. Bound more and more in love for each other. Second thing I want to bring up is because it's been just beautiful for me over the past few weeks as I've read this passage in the Lord's Providence. It was in my reading plan. This is 1 Samuel 23, 15 and 16. Strengthen each other's hands in God. Strengthen each other's hands in God. 1 Samuel 23, 15 and 16. David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a place called Horish. It's some 30 miles away from Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us in those two verses that Jonathan rose and he left and he went to David at Horish and he strengthened his hand in God. 
That's like Rome to Cartersville. And he didn't have a car. He didn't have a rapid transit train. He didn't have a cab. At best, maybe a chariot with a horse. Maybe just a horse. Maybe a donkey. Maybe he went on foot. We don't know. We do know is that Jonathan, David's friend, left Jerusalem. He traveled the 30 miles to be with David to strengthen his hands in God. help to illustrate that a few weeks ago a program that I have on my Mac was cleaning some files and it selected a bunch of writing files that I have I hit delete and I lost 10 years worth of writing and have not been able to recover them I've used every program available I've talked to IT guys they're just gone And I kind of came to the conclusion there are one of two things happening here. Either the Lord is truly done with me, and that's the first of many dominoes to fall. And so he's about to crush me, and probably deservedly so. Or I've got time to do it again. And there were some of you guys that the Lord put in front of me on a couple of days after that. You came to me. And you strengthened my hands in God. You didn't point to my self-sufficiency, my ability to write, or my ability to say or speak. You reminded me of the faithfulness of the Lord. When I wondered if the Lord was faithful, <laughs> about to crush me and finish it all off, He reminded me of the faithfulness of the Lord. You strengthened my hands in God. When my mother passed away last week, when was it last Saturday? I guess I've forgotten. We preached her funeral last week. Many of my pastor friends in this town came and they brought to me a reminder of God's faithfulness. They brought me food. We're sitting in the hospital waiting for the inevitable to take place. They brought me reminders of God's faithfulness. They strengthened my hands in God. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish, some 30 miles from Jerusalem. And David and Jonathan travels to be with David. Four little things we can glean from this. Number one, all of us in the body have a need to have and give camaraderie. We have a need to have and give camaraderie. You know what? That's impossible for one person to do for everybody. This is why we need each other. This is why the body's important. This is why it's life together under the Word. Is we need to have and give camaraderie. Arm in arm, walking together. Nathan Hicks did something for me that he did for me. My father died. I didn't even think about it. I'm just, in the, I'm just trying to get, get through the next few hours. Some lady at the Dagum Cemetery is trying to sell me a mausoleum and a double-depth burial so that when I go, I'm ready. I'm like, man, I'm trying to put my mom in the ground, and I'm not worried about double-depth burial right now. That's just weird, just an FYI. I told her I'm kind of waiting on Matthew 24, 14 to take place and hoping I'll avoid the whole thing altogether. So she didn't know what that was. And I got to tell her and tell her about Jesus. And that was kind of fun. So (laughs) I didn't need that. I didn't need to know about double depth burial. That's weird. What I needed was for somebody to do something. And Nathan came and did for me what he did when my father died. 
He just remembered and he did it. Arm in arm. Arm in arm. Number two, just conscious effort for each other. Recognizing, you know what? Make a conscious effort to love each other. Number three, we point each other to Christ, not our self-sufficiency. You know what? I don't need my help, my hand strengthened in me, and neither do you, because we're all pretty weak and, and insufficient. What I need is for my hands to be propped up to get themselves around the faithfulness of God, that He loves us, He sent the Son to die for us, and He put His Spirit in us to seal us and mark us as His people. And on your worst day, you need to know that. And on your best day, you need to know that and be reminded of that. And you know what? Sometimes God's means of doing that isn't this supernatural moment where God twinkles His nose and all of a sudden you just feel good. Sometimes it comes through the hands of a brother. The words of a friend. God uses means. And sometimes those means are each other. You know today that you may be a vessel of mercy to somebody hurting today? And thereby you are a vessel of God's kindness to one of His loved ones. They need to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. God's love for them and His care for them. Use Scripture. Remember Jesus is enough for us. Jesus is enough for us. A little quote for you that I love. Um, the misery of Job and the mercy of God. If you ever lose a loved one or lose a friend, it's a great set of poems Piper wrote for people walking through grief and mourning. There's a little phrase that I love that I've held on to. He is not poor nor much enticed who loses everything but Christ. It won't be long before the rod becomes the tender kiss. We point each other to Christ, not our own self-sufficiency. We remind each other that if we have nothing left but Jesus, we are not poor, nor are we much enticed. And the tender kiss of God is upon us because we're His children and He loves us. Number four, and finally, we remind each other of the promises of God. Remind each other of the promises of God. Psalm 56 and 57 are a beautiful balm. I'll just give you a sampling and then I'll be done. Psalm 56 and 57. Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. It's one thing for me to read that. It's something else for another person to read that to me, eye to eye, and remind me of the grace of God to me. It's a different level. And it's supposed to be that way. Right? God didn't seek to save us by remaining distant from us, did He? That's deism. There's a God, but He's up there. We can't really know Him. He's not personal. But Christianity says that this God took on flesh and came and He dwelt among us face to face, eye to eye, 
suffered with us, died in our place for our sin and rose for our salvation, ascended to heaven, sent the Spirit, whereby the Great Commission will be completed. He'll return, finish all things and make it right. God intends for that to happen eye to eye. He came to us and He sends us to each other. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. Wow. I cry out to you, God, because you fulfill your purpose for me. It's one thing to read that. It's another for a brother to read it to you or speak it to you eye to eye. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul's in the midst of lying. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they've fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake with the dawn. I will give my thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Imagine reading that to someone face to face, eye to eye, to help strengthen their hand in God. Love God and love each other. It's not rocket science. It's not complicated. Heck, this passage isn't even necessary. It doesn't require skilled exegete to deal with. Many passages don't. You've got the Spirit who is the best exegete on the face of the planet. He will guide you into truth and remind you. And when we come to these places and we read these simple things, it's not understanding them. It's just doing them. And reminding us all that we're priests to God and all capable of loving each other like this because we have the God of the universe dwelling in us. Guys, as we spend the next 10 years learning to love each other in fellowship, remember these simple things. Love God and love each other. Bear each other's burdens. Strengthen each other's hands in God. And do whatever the Lord has given you today to serve and love each other. And I think, just possibly, we might pull that off. Let me pray for you. As you're, the guys are going to come and lead us, and as you're kind of praying already, getting yourself an attitude of prayer, I just want to remind you, this response time is obviously to respond to the Lord in song, because that's one of the ways we worship. Another way we worship is by loving on each other. If the Lord has given you a particular way to love somebody today, don't disobey. Obey. Go to them. Love on them. Speak to them. Strengthen their hands in God. Bear their burden. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, I pray that you will love on your people this morning. And I pray that you'd use means, whatever means you choose to use, whatever you choose to do. This is your time. It's not our time. And we are your people, Chief Shepherd Jesus. So we pray that you'd rule over us well. You'd prompt us to love each other as we love you so that the love of God is perfected in us. Help us to do that this morning. I pray, Spirit, that you will 
Guide us to truth. Convict of sin. Counsel us. Walk with us. Father, I pray against the evil one, the liar and the father of lies, the one who would seek to put up strongholds of unbelief, of pride. I pray to crush the evil one. Spirit of pride, we rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ and we command you to be gone. Now, Father, I pray that you would rule Chief Shepherd well. Give us freedom to enjoy you and each other and do what only you can do as we respond to you and we love on each other and we pray this in Jesus' name.